Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. After presenting more than a thousand interviews, I couldn't be more compelled to introduce you to the Jordan Harbinger Show. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel to the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, and even the head of the CIA. Listed as Apple's best of 2018 and countless other awards that, let's be honest, you probably don't care about right now. So come and have a listen for yourself and join me as we exploit the superpowers of the world's most incredible thinkers, amazing achievers, and iconic change makers with their insights delivered right into your mind. You'll get that blueprint of their brilliance each week so that you can learn to live what you listen. Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care Centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831.20. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another brand new episode of the Collider Games Podcast. My name is Dennis Zinn. I'm here also with Dorian Parks. But what you've been waiting for and what you're really here for is the voice acting superstar, Troy Baker, who's kind enough for uh, to join us. Uh, how are you doing, Troy? Dude, I'm doing great. I I I was just thinking during the last time that I, I I don't know, Dennis, if I have we met before? Yeah, what? we we met at the the Collider Christmas party. Uh, oh, yeah. With um. The Star Wars. Call it. Yeah. yeah, Rise of Skywalker. I screaming I, in the party. I was your boy that was hanging out over, but you guys had a Mortal Kombat machine that was yeah. over in the corner. And like, that was like a, a, such a picture of who I was growing up, where it was like the party and the dancing is happening over here. And this is a nerd playing a video game. <laughs> I was the only one that was by that stand. I was like, oh shit, they got MK. And so I was over here playing while everyone was talking about um, their incredibly hot takes on that movie. That was a fun time, man. I love y'all's space too. Like that's like I walked in there and I felt like some kids uh like found a building. It was like it was like Goonies <laughs> the sequel. Like we found this building and we're pretty sure that one eyed Willie landed all his treasure here. <laughs> it's like running amok. Um anyway, yeah, so good super good to be here on this very is, is this gonna come out day and date or when you, or what are we uh, yeah, probably later tonight. Probably later, later tonight. tonight. And then okay. and then we'll have a website art, website article on collider.com as well. Well, there will be multiple by the, by this time in that there will be like a a, a a breadth of new reviews coming up for this this little game that we've worked our asses off for for the last uh, seven years really. Um, it's it's so crazy, man, to see that that it's out. It's weird to it's it's first of all we're in an incredibly surreal situation. Um, I've never I've obviously never experienced a. A, a game launch like this normally i remember like uh ashley johnson texted me last night it was about midnight and she said the last time we did this launch she was like 
because we had we had done this little launch event, and then Neil was like, "Hey, we're gonna go over to uh, GameStop in Santa Monica, and we're just gonna like be there for the midnight release." And there was like, I don't know, thirty or forty people that were there, and everyone was just kind of like, "We think this thing's gonna be awesome, but we have no idea." And we all walked out to our cars, and we're like, "I guess we're gonna go home." And Ash just like we got our copies and she's like, I'm coming over to your house right now. <laughs> and we played through the prologue. And I remember looking over at Ashley when the, um, naughty dog logo came up and she was like, there's, this isn't happening right now. Like we're not, we're not watching the game that we've been making. And there's not a game that I'm in that has that logo that we're about to play. It was just this totally surreal moment. And then you flash forward. That's in 2013. So you flash forward to now and it's like, well, let's one up this. We're in quarantine <laughs> during a global pandemic. Um, after one of the most contentious, um, oppositional games to ever try to be made. Like it's hard enough to make a game. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I know we're going to talk about other ones that are that just got announced, but I've been telling everybody. I, I'm, I'm a huge. I've got many friends that are in the development uh, side of this industry, and and. I, I've walked the halls of, of studios and, and seen from the triple I to the triple A, all of them, uh, to the to the Lucas Popes, which just him, all the way up to there's three to four hundred people that are work on this game. I, I've I've seen those people, and it is a any game that ends up coming out, any game that ships, is a miracle. Whether you like it or not, whether it's good or not, it's still a miracle that that thing happened. Because at the end of the day, it's ones and zeros moving around in space by magic and sheer force of will by creators. So the fact that this game, which was the most ambitious game that Naughty Dog has ever set out to do, and it honestly, it has the best action sequence of any Naughty Dog game for sure. And I'm including Uncharted 2, I'm including Uncharted 3, I'm including Uncharted 4, it, it, even The Last of Us Part 1. It has the best action scene I, I have ever... I was laughing and white-knuckled the entire time because it was just so fun. Uh, Troy, before you, before you continue, oh. I just want to preface it. Me, I, I've only got to play a couple hours of it. Okay. It, I, I won't spoil anything. Okay, all right, because you, you're giving me too hype right now. You're giving <laughs> me too hype, but I, I'm excited about it, man. I, like, I just want to say, like, when... When I when you like you said when I when I started the second game like I I played the first one one of my favorite games so when I started the second one and just hearing Joel's Joel's voice again it was just like we're home we're back at it like yeah. it, it, it was so surreal man so continue I just wanted to let just no just, dude just, that, let you know that that means a lot man and we've had cool conversations about it before too and I I always appreciate your take on games um your so your your opinion of stuff has, comes comes with a lot of uh, equity. Um, and it is, it is those pe those voices that I, I'm trying to tend to listen to. Um, I don't want to be deaf to opposition because that's, that's the beauty of this, this, um, this game. I, I said this on another podcast, uh, that just like Fortnite is no longer really a game. And I, I told Donald Muster this, I was like, y you created a licensing platform. That's, that's really what this is. This is just a really cool way to get stuff that's on the fringe inside of a game that you can build an event around and make the world go crazy for 24 hours. Um, but The Last of Us really became a platform for discourse and it became a plat. Dude, I'm like repping hard right now too. Hey. I'm, I'm the boy that went to the concert with a band t-shirt. Um, 
they we, we created this conversation with with not only just the game but also how it how it left um and those the, that last final word okay it's like well, what does that mean and people unpacking that over the last you know six to seven years so i i think that what this game is more about is listening to the opposition and listening to the people that are like i'm really against this um i don't like that they did this i'm like i totally understand have you played it? They're like, no, I'm not going to play it. I'm like, well, that's like people going, Citizen Kane is about, a uh, fuck Rosebud. I'm like, no, dude, it's not a, it's not about the sled. <laughs> you know, just because you think you might know one thing about um, a book, a show, a movie, a game, a person. I, I hope that right now, more than anything, people are going, okay, I'm going to take a step back from my limited perspective and and at least try to listen to the conversation that's happening. And through that, my, my entire worldview changed on, on June 1st. And that's sad that my worldview, which I, I consider myself a pretty broadly, you know, uh, informed, educated person, still had to change on June 1st because the conversation in this country shifted and became more aware of a conversation that had been underlying and as an undercurrent of our society for, and I don't want to get too often to that tangent because we're here talking about video games, but this is a part of it. It is, this is a systemic issue to where it's like people think they, they want to love something selfishly. And I was, I was guilty of that too. I wanted to love this thing selfishly. But if I truly say that I love the last of us, then I have to, I am compelled to accept what this thing wants to be and not what I want it to be. There you go. <laughs> um, you I remember doing a voice. It's like, no, y'all. I'm like turned up right now. <laughs> um, so you kind of uh, touched on this before, uh, but I wanted to know, like, your experience working on The Last of Us Part Two compared to the first one, because with the first one, you know, it it was an unknown property yet. I mean, right. obviously, it was Naughty Dog behind. Um, Uncharted and it had high expectations. It had a potential potential to be good, potential to be great. It you know ended up winning you know where it could have a, been <laughs> a lot of game 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 of the year awards. Um, sure. One of the best games considered one of the best games of all time. But you guys weren't sure that now with the second one, you know that the, the the amount of pressure is behind this. How is how is the experience working on this one versus the first one? Everybody would give you a different perspective on that. Um, the one commonality that I found, like we, we didn't have the benefit of when we were making the first one, the joke was like, we would read through one of the scenes and it would be like, we would go through Billstown or whatever. And it was like, this will be the last game that Naughty Dog ever ships. <laughs> it's called the last of us. Cause it's a good night, everybody. <laughs> um, we should have just made another uncharted. We're sorry. Um, but we had no idea that, that the response was going to be what it was. And it was, an, it was incredibly daring tonally. Um, mechanically, it was just a different thing. It was like, give me the pulp, give me the action, give me the quips, give me the fun, make me feel like Indiana Jones. I don't want to feel like I'm playing a Cormac McCarthy book. Um, and that's what they put forth. So once people realize, like, wow, these people are capable, the studio is capable, and games are capable of being, again, a platform for discourse and a medium by which people can empathetically and emotionally experience a story and be, uh, there's been other situ situations where we've been so, I'm, I'm not saying that The Last of Us was the first. There's other games that I've played 
um, recent and retro that I felt compelled to to be the character um, and felt like I was very much in in symbiosis with that character. Like there was a partnership there. But this was just something different. And by and large, the industry went, this one just hit different, you know? And we had the benefit of that going into two saying we were proven. We knew we could do this and we knew that people loved this and that this was tremendously successful. Oh shit, people love this and this is tremendously successful. And then the doubt comes creeping in and go, what if this isn't good enough? And Neil was really good about this because even when we were making the first game, he said, I was like, well, you got to set this up for the sequel. He's like, I don't even know if I'm going to make a sequel. I don't even know if we're going to do that. Right now, I can, all I can do is not only just make this game, but Joel and Ellie are not aware that they're in a game. All that they know is that they're in this world. They don't understand. This isn't Tron. They're not fighting for the users. You know, This is people that are in a real moment, in a real story, in a real world that has stakes. And to think about, well, let's hold off on that little beat right now because we could actually do that in part three if we wanted to do it, um, is, is totally, not only antithetical, but it's anathema to these characters in this world. So we brought that philosophy back into two to where it's like, look, same thing still applies. This is not a game. These people are experiencing this. These are real, real people having real situations in a real world. And that seemed to ground us because it, you can break it down to the microcosmic level. Whenever I thought about, well, well what, do if people like this thing about Joel? It's like, dude, Troy is in that scene right now. And Joel is no, he's not even present in that. So Neil is a great captain in the sense that he's like, we will talk about scenes. We will exhaustively break them open to see how they work and if they need to change. But by and large, everybody had to check their fears and even their own conception of what this thing needed to be at the door, because there was a story that needed to be told. And you, it, speaking it, of, it, oh, sorry, Dennis, but uh, just piggybacking off of that, but speaking of like you, you touched on it just now about working with Neil and it being like a story that just hit differently. Yeah. Neil, like we, we, I, I don't want to see anybody else besides you playing the live action Joel. But if you oh. had to, if you had to pick somebody, like I know they can put some some effects on you and, and make you Joel. But if you had to like fan cast somebody to to, to play this live action version, who yeah. would you pick? Dude, it's the, the the crazy conversations that have been had, and and I've. Uh, Craig Mazin, who's now at the helm of that, who did uh, the showrunner for Chernobyl, uh, has become a buddy. Like, like I'm honored to say that the guy's a brilliant writer. He's got an incredible podcast about writing called Script Notes, and we just got to sit and you know we were Twitter friends, and it was like, I think you're awesome. I think I think you're awesome, and we just go back and forth, just giving each other love. But you know, Craig has got a really the take, the unique perspective on this. Uh, to be able to take this from one medium into another. And I even asked him, I was like, why are, you, why are you trying to make this into a movie? Why are you trying, and now into a TV show? He said, because at the end of the day, there are people that are just not going to pick up a controller and experience this story. And I think this story deserves to be heard and to be experienced. And I was like, I can't argue with that. Make it a book, make it a movie, make it a show. It's going to be best as a show. But all I want out of Joel, I have done... I have taken Joel as far as I can take it. I did the same in part one, same in part two. I did it as far to, to that was my job was to move that character as far forward as I could. What I'm excited about is finding someone that can give me a completely different side of Joel 
and show me how far that character can stretch. Dude, I am no stranger to stepping into um, pre-existing roles. Like you look at, I've played Batman. I mean, Jesus, how many people have played Batman? Terribly and amazingly. Um, The Joker, same thing. It's like there have been more people have walked on the moon than have played the Joker. And that is is a cool, cool fact um, that I probably just made up. But the <laughs> my my job is not to go. I hope that I'm better than, um, and I'll never be as good as because then I'm not thinking about the character, dude. I would I would love honestly for it to be someone like everyone goes like Hugh Jackman, or they go they just go for the aesthetic. There have been people that I thought would be great. I I remember being at LAX and um, I was. Josh Brolin was there. We were in the lounge together and I walked up and I was like, man, I doubt you remember this, but you and I were doing a movie. You were doing, he was doing no country and I was doing uh, a a Western. And I was like, you and I met, we, we had drinks this one night. We had a good night. I was like, I think I remember that. I was like, I doubt you do because I know how much we have all had to drink. Um, I said, there is a game that's coming out and I want you to know that for me, so much of, of your work was very influential in that. And he really, really was. Um, and I was like, if you ever get the call um, for a character named Joel, I would be honored. And I think you would be enriched to play that character. And I think on its face, literally, Josh Brolin would be a knockout choice. But I don't know if I would see, I don't know if I would walk away learning something different about Joel. And I'm in a great position. Because either A, somebody steps into that role and I was like, damn, dude, I never thought about that. Wow, what an interesting choice. Or B, they suck. And people go, only Troy can play Joel. <laughs> so either way, I win. Nice. Um, you know, you mentioned working on the second part and how you took uh, a lot of the stuff uh, that you guys uh, developed the process in, in the first game too. But you recently became a father in 2018. Yeah, how man. did that kind of affect your perspective in this relationship between Joel and, and dude. Ellie into, into your uh, performance. Dude, I, I, I hands down. And I, I know the job of an actor is to put yourself in a position and that's, that's your job is to perform that scene to the best of your ability. And as honestly as possible. However, I can say undeniably that there is no way if I do go back um, and do that, do the Sarah scene over again, I, I don't think I can do it. No. Um, for the first time, you know, yeah. Uh, which is what real, I mean, knowing that Neil wrote that when his daughter was the same age as my son now makes me have a tremendous amount of even more respect. It might look, man, you can call me a fanboy all you want. Just fine. I'm a fan of Neil Druckmann. I am a fan of Neil Druckmann, uh, as a writer and as a person, as a dude and ain't nobody perfect, but damn, that guy tries. And I, I, I genuinely love that man. And the more that I work with him and the more that our friendship grows, um, I have such respect for him. Um, <laughs> he said something. I was like, he said, I, sometimes I get undue credit. And so sometimes I'm going to get undue blame. And so he took all of the situation and just was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take it on the chin for everybody. And all that he really ever cared about uh, was the team. So like when this whole thing happened and, and the supposed leaks went down, um, my heart broke for him. Uh, people ask, how did you feel? It was like, I was angry, 
but I wasn't anywhere near where Neil was and Neil's heart was breaking for the team because there were the most talented people that were so diligently working and giving their lives over voluntarily for this thing and for that to just get the rug pulled up under it. It's just mm-hmm. the shittiest thing that could possibly ever happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to know that Neil wrote that scene um, and had the patience with me as, as not a father, uh, him being a father, having the patience to me as a not father, go, I don't know how to explain this to you, your entire world. Like when, when, when my son was born, <laughs> uh, the two things that my wife and I were both like, you, you always, you hear like, I die for you. It's like, that's a great little platitude. You're like, oh no, I die for you. Like I, I would literally just like, I would step into a bus. And it's not, it's not like this brave, heroic notion that you all of a sudden are born with all this courage. You literally would just go, I don't know, the sky is blue and I would step in front of that bus. Like that's, that's just what would happen. Um, and I would also murder him. <laughs> like, um, my, my wife was telling me we've forgotten about this, but like when he was like maybe two days old, there was a mosquito in our room and he was sleeping right in between us. And both of us were just like assassins. We're like, you come anywhere closer. I swear to God, I'll rend you wing from wing. Um, it's, it's crazy how much of, from a genetic level, how much you change. So to come back for part two, and now for there to be that awareness, man, there's a whole new layer to dialogue and words and choice and, and, and everything else. And even playing it, I mean, ugh, 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 there's so much. It's just, I've never been in a situation before, and I never will again, where I have been in so in sync and in parallel with a character in a moment of a game, where exactly what the character is feeling I'm feeling like, like, not like, Oh, I was so sympathetic. What am I talking about? Full on empathy. There's this one moment. And I just was like, I am 100% that person right now. It's crazy, crazy. Um, without any spoilers, what was your kind of first reaction of reading the script for the, for, for, for part two? So it wasn't really the script. It was more, um, Neil had told me, he was like, um, the first time he told me I've, I've, said this so much and I'm wondering, I still start thinking, I was like, is my version of it true? Or am I just really believing the story that I told about this? But as I recall, uh, we were in London, I think for the BAFTAs when left behind was, was winning. Um, and we went to this after, after party because after the BAFTAs is a big champagne celebration. Everyone's congratulating or commiserating. And it's just this great time to remind you how great this industry is. And then we leave there, go to this one bar, and everyone was like, ah, we don't want to be here. So we found this, like, dive bar in East London, and we were out in the middle of a parking lot. It, was like a, it felt like it was somebody's house that they just happened to have beer or whatever. But we're outside, and we're standing there, and it's kind of cold because uh, it's April. And Neil goes, so I think I have an idea. And I went, go on. And he starts telling me, he was like, so this, this, and this. And it was super rough, um, you know, broad strokes of the story. But I'm like, I could tell that he had an idea that he was really a story concept that he was really, really proud of and excited about. Cut to like two years later. Um, he's like, I want you to come over to the house. And he sat me down. We went over to his house, had lunch. He sat me down. He's like, let's go to my office. And he's like, I want to walk you through this story. And an hour and a half later, 
I had I had originally started like, like a notepad. It's like, yes, go on. And then that character's name, mm, that's very fat. I'll get back to that, but I'm just curious. And I was trying to be this diligent student. And an hour and a half later, the notes are beside me. I am wrapped with attention and I'm in tears. And I was like, we have to tell this story. Like that is a story that must be told. And I had no idea everything that was going to happen subsequently to that moment or subsequent to that moment. Um, but even if, if for nothing else, yeah, if you guys know Steve Saylor, uh, he's known as the blind gamer and he's been a, such a strong advocate for accessibility in games. And every time someone goes, I can't believe they, you know, they're going to do this and it's not good or whatever. They blast it. I just want to show them this video of Steve Saylor's um, response to it because it's, it's him in absolute tears on the menu screen because of the accessibility, the, the, the cutting edge um, uh, amount of uh, accessibility that, that was specifically designed for the accessibility community. And if for nothing else, man, that moment, everything that we went through, everything the team went through was, was worth it for that one person's experience. Um, I think it was uh, Emerson, Ralph Alder Emerson, that said all of history exists for the sake of a single person. It's like we've, we've experienced all of this so that we as an individual can go, that's what it feels like to feel pain. That's what it feels like to feel love. So all of this exists so that we can understand that we're all experiencing life in a different way, but it's still the same story. We're all living the same story. So everything that we went through was worth it. I think that answers somehow your question. And what, uh, speaking of the script, what was it like just sh shooting like that last mocap scene with Ashley? Like no, like no spoilers or whatever, but just that last you, that you know is that last moment y'all are going to be together shooting this scene. What, what was that moment like? Man, that was a great day. It was a sad day. Um, there was not a dry eye on the stage. There's about thirty people on the stage, and it, it's it's one one scene. Um, that was an interesting thing is like, there were a couple of scenes in there that I was like, holy shit, that was our entire morning. Like we worked an entire morning on one scene or we spent the entire afternoon on, on one scene. And that, that was one of them. And that's the one thing that nobody ever wants to hear is that's a wrap. Um, and you're like, oh, wow. And I had just watched Nolan go through this with Uncharted and I was giving him shit because I was like, ha, 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 you know, because, you know, he always loves to hold court, but he doesn't want to be the center of attention when it's like a real moment. And, you know, all of a sudden I look and he's not paying attention on Uncharted 4 and they're wheeling the cart out with a cake and champagne. And I'm like, oh, shit. And they're like, everybody, that's a wrap on Nathan Drake. And they're like, speech. And he's like, I just want to go to my car, get out of here. <laughs> and so here it is. We're, we're rapping on the last of us and here comes the champagne i'm like i don't want to be here and it was just like everyone just hung out because we didn't want to leave um and there's that picture that you know went up on instagram or whatever of of uh ashley and i um and then the one of uh the three of us me neil and ashley and we had done something similar on part one and it's just those kids in the first one and then the adults in the second one is how it feels like there's just i texted ashley last night i was like there's so much life that has happened between that moment and this. It's just, it's, it's crazy. That, what did I text her? See if I can at least paraphrase it without spoiling anything. Um, I said, a lot of life has happened between that day and this. In so many ways, the story of this game and that journey reflects our individual paths. 
And I told her, I said, I can't say I'm blown away by your performance because it has the opposite effect. I'm pulled in closer and closer the further I go. Every choice is wielded with deftness and honesty. And she just, I can't say enough. Dude, Ashley is next level lights out. Next level lights out. These scenes, I have never, I can even talk. I mean, like the gameplay, whoa. I have never in my life played a game where the gameplay, the mechanics are so character driven to where everything you do is driven by character and tacked onto that, you are the one that's doing it. You don't have, there was one scene or there were one sequence where I was talking to somebody else and they were like, oh my God, dude, I got held up on here and this, just the big firefight and it's just crazy and I barely made it out. And I was like, oh yeah, I just threw a brick. And they're like, what? It's like, I threw a brick and went around. <laughs> and they're like, what? I was like, yeah, you can completely go around. And you start exploring this world and you realize how many ways there are to play this game. And so the, right now the conversation, the topic of the conversation is like so brutal and the violence is so brutal. I'm like, two comments on that. Number one, this game rests on a pendulum and in order to have to reach the heights that it does it must go to the depths so in order to achieve that level of beauty we must have that level of despair it's that's how it works that's the physics of emotion so it's it's never it's the most brutal game i've ever played mm. um but it's not gratuitous i don't know how they managed to do that but it's so balanced and secondly you are in control. You have... Ellie is not a empty character that you inhabit. She is a fully fleshed out character that you will at times be in conflict with or in even opposition to. But when it comes down to you being on the stick, you're in charge. And the thing that the game does so good is rewarding... Not rewarding you, but allowing you to be whatever version of Ellie you want it to be. It's crazy, man. It's it's some next level stuff. The gameplay is bananas good. Character speaking of character driven moments, Dennis. I know you want you gotta you want to talk about something uh, related to some music. So there's a, a oh yeah, early, there's a moment early on with Joel where you can. It's not really a spoiler, but you can you can play some music. So Dennis, what, you, you, it's up to you. What, what's up? Yeah, yeah. So speaking of new gameplay mechanics, you can play the guitar using using the the controller. I, I'm actually a huge uh, Pearl Jam fan. Um, so when I heard uh, Joel, you, yourself, singing mm -hmm. uh, the cover of Future Days, uh, I got super excited. Uh, one, how did that song choice um, come up? And was it a song you had sung before no. or you had heard before? No, that is 100% a Neil Druckmann thing. Okay. Uh, he's a massive uh, Pearl Jam fan. Uh, Pearl Jam has historically outspokenly not allowed any of their music to be a part of any video game ever for anything ever hard no and neil Druckmann got them to allow him to use that song uh i will let him tell that story because only he can tell it but it is a, like i said this game is a miracle so the fact that that song specifically exists uh in the game uh and then neil can play that song better than me hands down he that is that is his song. There's other songs that I can play. Neil Druckmann can play on guitar. Can play that song better than me. 
And through the course of The Last of Us and Part Two, he really, really taught himself how to play. Um, and he's a much better guitarist than I am as far as like technically and stuff. I can hang and riff, but uh, that song specifically, it was super... I'd never get nervous, but I was like, I knew what the song meant to him specifically. And so I just, I didn't want to mess it up. Um, but man, that, that mechanic, I was like, okay, how can we use the touchpad? Like I've, I've played those games before where you're like, blech, it's whatever. I didn't realize until several times, you don't just have to strum you can pick and pick the strings you want to play or you can stroke and it's a corded thing. I was like, holy crap. Do you understand what I'm saying to you right now? You push the touchpad, right? You may do some swiping stuff, but it's never been like point sensitive. I've never <laughs> seen the trackpad be used that way or the touchpad be used that way. It is... That's like that's the fishing in in The Last of Us, you know, like in Red Dead or whatever. It's like I'm just gonna go and play guitar. <laughs> it's like a guitar simulator, um, and even how they did that, how they modeled that, and the amount of guitars that they modeled, so that there wasn't just a generic MIDI guitar that they were pulling up, but there were there's a dude that came that had just like six guitars, and one of them I was like, yo. That's about a $15,000 guitar. He's like, yep, it never leaves my studio. And he's like, this is what they wanted. And it's like this old, uh, I think it was an old Gibson. I was like, that's like a 47 Gibson. He's like, yeah. I'm like, wow. But it, it, the, the tonal quality of these guitars in this world, um, and they even explain, I was like, that would, they would have strings. He was like, if the guitar was sealed, yeah. It's, you know, relatively, it's not in a hyperbaric chamber, but it would be, pretty protected anyway i'm getting to the, the weeds of it but you bring up the guitar that that was a moment that neil crafted and was super super patient about and we iterated on a lot um so the fact that he gave me the opportunity to to have that moment in the game is i, I love him for it have are there i don't want to spoil anything but can we expect to see him sing any more because i know i know it was surprising to a lot of fans that you uh you and ashley actually uh, performed a song live one time and 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 surprised a lot of people just because i like you singing with, with your joel voice so will we get to see any more of that or did you you and ashley get to sing anything at all uh during this time on or on or off the game man that was such a great moment that psx moment was great to walk out on stage and i mean dude that's my that's my my first love, you know, is, is music and any chance that anybody gives me an opportunity to, to do something musically. Um, I'm, I'm all in. It was weird though, because singing is different. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's just because I'd, I'd never really done it before. I'd never really done like musical theater before. So I, I didn't know what it was like to sing in character. Um, and I, going in, there was this temptation to make it more of an affectation. It was like, well, look, Joel comes out of me, not just vocally, but like the way that I stand, the way that I move, everything. When we're in a scene together, Joel is present. So Troy can take a step back. So if I apply that model to that, just let Joel sing. And don't worry about like, will he sing it this way? And there's a temptation there to really micromanage that and make sure but it just became this moment of like honesty. 
It's the best way that I could say that. And, and, and I will say this. If there's ever opportunities for me to be able to do that again, it was something that 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 whole notion of Joel being a singer and and Ellie, um, they talk about stars and her wanting to be an astronaut. That is Neil writing Troy and Ashley into those characters because that's something that Ashley genuinely wants and wanted. And that's clearly something that's a big part of me. So when it came to this in-game dialogue question that was going to have a conversation, like, what did you want to do? It's like, well, I don't know. I always wanted to be a singer. That was, we looked on the page. I'm like, dude, that's cool. The fact that Neil Druckmann lost a pet and had the opportunity to, in that moment, when you first get into Jackson, into Tommy's town, and you meet the dog, he could have named that dog, his, his dog's name. And right around the time that we were shooting, this is when I lost my dog. And Neil gave that to me. Like, that's a good dude. He was like, we're going to name that dog Buckley. So, and I think, I think Buckley is in part two. I'm not, I, I need to confirm that. Um, but uh, you for sure can pet the dog. <laughs> um, and you can also pet the horse. So. Um, as we're doing this, this interview over uh, Zoom and everything, obviously because of what's going on with uh, COVID-19, how is that affecting your day-to-day life in terms of, <laughs> are, you able, are you able to record stuff at home or do you have to go yeah. to a s- separate studio? Uh, yeah. And also just the, how it's affecting the video game I- industry in general. Man, I, I say this on a daily basis. Uh, I am honored and, and grateful to be working in an industry of professional problem solvers. Um, when quarantine happened, um, most of the, the people at a dev just looked at us like, well, this is just bad design. We can fix this. you know. Um, let's iterate. And let's, let's find a problem. It's, it's just a boss battle, essentially. Um, so fortunately, um, I, I've, I'm in an industry that was able to continue to work, and, and especially in a time of, of a pandemic when people are at home. Um, podcasts are great. I think there was someone said that there was something like 750,000 new podcasts. It was crazy. Like literally everybody was like, I got a mic. You couldn't get a, a webcam and a mic uh, for like the longest time, and you may not be able to. You're still seeing them. Uh, it's like, it's like toilet paper, Clorox wipes and, and, uh, any kind of podcast gear you can't get. Um, but I, I've been able to, to, to work from home. And, and what's crazy is it actually like really spiked. Um, there was, there was a lot of, um, because this is my, like, this is my Kung Fu. Like I, I, I really get down on audio gear. Um, I've, I've had a good setup at home. I beefed it up even, uh, when this whole thing started, but the calls from everybody, Disney, Warner Brothers, Sony, um, were like, hey, can you record at home? I'm like, yeah. So I've either been doing a session or a test for one since since quarantine started. I was on a, I was on a session just before this, and I had to just – the only thing that sucks about it, and I'm actually really impressed by any studio that is able to keep a temperature at 72 degrees, is just like, man, that's, that's that to me is such a huge accomplishment. Because even right right now, my room is – it's swampy in here, y'all. It is. It gets hot because it's just a room, right? And unless I have like a window, but there's nowhere for this hot air to go. So it's like in our next house, I go, okay, ventilation, more than just air conditioning, ventilation is incredibly important. Um, so I've been, I've been able to, to work from home, but it definitely has had an impact on this industry. I, I think that we, we saw with, 
uh, not just the state of play, but even the stuff that, that EA talked about, the games are starting to look a little bit different. We've had so many games that pushed. Cyberpunk uh, is, is just pushing, which I think is a great call for all of these guys. It's like, look, wait, make this thing. Nobody ever, everybody thinks, everybody in the studio thinks they're shipping a broken game already. There's no way that um, they should be have to crunch to get that patch out. Um, and, and just feel, you want to feel as confident as you can about a game that you're shipping. So, uh, I applaud anyone, especially publishers that are able to go take your time. Um, and that goes to Sony as well. Sony being able to look at Naughty Dog and go, we know we pushed, we're going to push again. And even if we say we're going to push indefinitely, like that was the rough one. I went, whoa. Um, it is a, it's a true feat, uh, to be able to put a game out. So, this, this, I think we're going to see games look a little differently for the next two years. I mean, if an average dev cycle is 18 to 24 months or even longer now, 24 to 36 months, um, or in a case of The Last of Us, it's like 60 months. You know, you're, you're, you're looking at um, a long time that this could potentially impact a lot of games. And speaking of just upcoming games, we'll talk about The Last of Us a little bit more in a minute, but just uh, you got you have some other upcoming games coming out this year as well, like Avengers. So can you tease anything about your role or anything like that? I know that Marvel snipers are watching us right now, so we'll keep oh, it chill. But... Dude, did you see that thing? There was a that tweet that, like, I think it was GameSpot or whatever put out. They were like, ah, Spider-Man, such a great game. What, a, what other Marvel game would you like to see turn or Marvel franchise turn into a game? And I put it as a joke. I was like, cough, hashtag Bill Roseman, or at Bill Roseman, cough, cough. Yeah, he responded. And he said, "We all know that you are the man without fear." And everyone's like, "Oh shit, they're teasing the dead." <laughs> okay, and we're like, "No, no, 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 hold on, hold on." Um, so I, I, I am super. Uh, I, I am grateful that uh, for right now, the only Marvel uh, game that I am in uh, is me playing Bruce Banner and Shauna Sky, who was. Uh, the, what was his role at, at Naughty Dog? Sean left Naughty Dog and and went and became the creative director for um, and, and the cinematic director and the, the lead writer for this Avengers game. And dude, the world that he built and the story that he told, and to do it under, again, those circumstances was like, great, we just finished the most impactful, most success, successful franchise ever. You tell a story in that same world, and I was like, well, shit, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so he crafted this incredibly unique new story with Avengers, and when he cast me, he was like, I want you to play Banner. I'm like, cool. Yeah, I normally play hockey or, Hawkeye or Loki, so that's that's what you meant to say. He's like, no, 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 man. I want you to be Banner. I was like, I don't know if I want to be the Hulk. He was like, you're not going to be the Hulk. I just want you to play Banner. So the story that we get to tell... Um, we got to see a lot of it at, at New York Comic Con. They showed it off. Um, dude, it is so fun. It is fun playing that game. And the story is incredible. It's If you're a comic book fan especially, there's so many uh, nods to canon that I really, really love. Um, and like deep cuts too. Like, wow, I can't... Like, we even did, did, did some stuff uh, not that long ago where I was like, are you guys hinting at this? And they're like, way to go. We, we're glad that someone's picking up on this. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a game that's being made for people that this could easily be their entry point. I don't know why it would be, but like, cause if you, unless you live under a rock, you know, you can't escape, you can't walk three feet and not hit, uh, something that's Marvel. But if for some reason you never really got into the lore, you never had an ex- experience where you especially got to play, um, as the Avengers, man, this is a great entry point into it. And I am, 
I love the character they get to play on. I'm 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 a little protective now over over Banner. And and just piggybacking off of that, what what was your initial reaction when you found out that Kamala Khan was going to be in the game? Because I know for a lot of people out there, like she's a she's one of the newer characters. So for her to get her her debut in this, it, it was a pretty big deal. It didn't surprise me with Sean, um, just because, especially if you played Lost Legacy, that is something that is just near and dear to his heart, and so. Sean grew up in Trinidad and Sean has always been a a, a big advocate for being able to spotlight people of color, not to tick a box and just for diversity's sake, but to show the incredibly accessible characters that they are and the strength and the prowess that they have and how much fun it is and how interesting and how um, fully fleshed out they are. So this is something that's like totally in his wheelhouse to be able to do. So once I was like, when they started talking about it, they kind of hinted towards stuff. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Is this going to be like, yeah, yeah, we're going to Kamala Khan. I went, what? Like, what a bold choice. You know, no one would ever do that. And that's honestly, as, as fun as it is to be Iron Man or Captain America or even Incredible Hulk, it is so much, it's so rewarding to swing around and be Kamala Khan and embiggen. It's just like, yeah, dude, you want to be hot. Come on, bro. I'm ready for it. <laughs> dude, it's really, really dope. Hey, Dor- Doran, do, do you have uh, uh, some Twitter questions? That yeah, let me sent fire you? away. Let me pull them up real quick. While, while, while you mentioned, you mentioned uh, Lost Legacy real quick. So can you, uh, if, if we ever were to potentially get another Uncharted in the future, I know how they left it off in 4. I, I know how they left it off. But I, if we ever got one in PS5, would you ever come back to a project? Oh, dude. Look, I, I've got a, I would love to have a parking spot at Naughty Dog. You know what I mean? Like anytime they want me to come and play, I am in for anything. Um, I just love... I love the games that they make, man. I, I was a fan before I was, you know, an employee. Um, I played Uncharted, and I was like, this is going to change games. I knew it. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I Sam Drake was, was a... Dude, that was a dream come true, man. I, I always wanted to be in Uncharted. And the fact that I was... I just wanted to be like a red shirt. Just like, be some guy that goes, shoot, show me your head. You know, just like, you know, get him. He was over there. If I could do that, that would have been a huge win. The fact that they were like, how about you play Nate Drake's brother that we've never brought up, by the way? <laughs> then I was like, all right, that, that could be a lot of fun. So I, if there was another opportunity for me to do that, I wouldn't mind playing an Uncharted with Cassie. Hey, hey. All right, let me got, I got the first real question here is from Rihanna. She asked, uh, you're the only person who's portrayed Batman, Robin, Two Face, and the Joker. Mm-hmm. How has the challenge? Uh, how has this challenged you as a voice actor? Which character was the most challenging or the most fun to voice out of those? Man, it depends, man. Because like Two Face was so much fun. That was the that was my first chance. Like I, Colette Sunderman brought me in Arkham City to play like night guardman d that was not like a big character she's like hey by the way there's another character we wanted to do just to see if you could do it and it was kind of like an in the room audition and i was like okay and she was like that's uh on page 16 i was like okay flipping through flip through. i was like um i don't see i see harvey dent she was like yeah yeah yeah, that one i went you want me to be two-faced she's like let me just see what you do with it and i was like okay she goes now there's harvey dent and there's two-faced so i don't know if you know the character I was like another character and I said, uh, do you guys want, like, Richard Mall? And Paul Crocker, everyone calls him Paws, at that time was like, did you just reference 
Batman animated series is like, yeah, dude, that like Two Face is, is that Richard Mall is is Two Face to me. He was like, I don't want you to feel like you have to voice match him, but if you did something that was in that vein, that's that's exactly what we're looking for. I was like, cool. And so the the cool thing to me about what, the way that Richard Mall did it was that there was never a separate track. He always just did it. So he would flip um, in in real time. And they were like, same thing. He said, do you want to record all the Two-Face stuff? And then we can do it. I was like, no, 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 no. I want to do this all in one go. And so we did it. And I got to be Two-Face. And then I, they, they brought me back. And I got to do it a couple times. Cut to, same guy, pause, going, so I'm going to fire you uh, as, as Two-Face. I was like, okay. He's like, we're doing another game. I was like, okay. He's like, I don't want you to be Two-Face. I was like, okay. He's like, I don't want you to be Nightwing. I went, okay. He goes, I do want you to be Jason Todd. And I squealed because death in the family is like, that's, 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 yeah. So I was like, no shit. He's like, yeah. So being able to be, I don't think I've been three Robins, but I know that I've been two, um, is, is cool enough to to then be like an incredibly the only henchman or the only villain uh that's a friend of Batman. You can go to whole, you know, Rajal Ghul if you want to, but it really it was Harvey Dent was the friend of Batman. Um but then to be able to put on the cowl and be and be Batman in, in different iterations too, not just like, oh I just did this. But to start off by doing it in Lego, and someone's like, what if he does it serious? And then we actually be able to do that. And then I got to do it in Telltale. I was a huge Telltale fan. Um, and then to be able to be the Joker, and then be able to do the Batman and Joker in the same movie was like, I was like, I'll be your marketing gimmick. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> Why not? Um, but every every role presents their own challenge. Some of it's going to be physically. Like, if you've ever seen Mark Hamill do the Joker, <sighs> It's effortless coming out of him. It 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 drives me crazy because he just he just can just do just gymnastics, vocal gymnastics, um, and he is the Joker. Will always be the Joker to me, above anybody else, uh, Joaquin and and even Heath Ledger. Um, but there, there's a challenge there for me because physically it was hard to do. Um, Batman, I I will never in my life sound as cool as Kevin Conroy ever ever. And what he does is just his his natural talking voice is just, do you have a piece of toast? Because here is the butter. Um, it's incredible. Um, but everything's going to have its own challenge. And as an actor, that's your job. Your job is to rise to that challenge and find a creative and unique way to meet it. And so you've already voiced all these iconic villains and Batman. Who is the next person on your, your arsenal that you're looking forward to, Dude, to tackling? I done told you, man, Bill. Let's make a Daredevil game. I want to... Like, look, I, I, DC... Uh, Batman was my first graphic novel that I ever bought. I'm lobbying for this so hard, and I swear to you, Internet, this is not like a campaign. Well, no, it is a campaign, but it's just not an official one. I I grew up reading comics, and the first one that, like, the series that I got into, there are people that got into Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, whatever. The first one for me, and I don't know why, it may have literally just been a price thing, because, like, it, it, like maybe Daredevil was 50 cents and everything else was 75 or a dollar. I was like, well, I, got, I can get two of those, I can't, or I can get one. Um, I got into Daredevil, and his specific story, the fact that he wasn't, um, he was a poor kid that grew up, and... Over that Stanley has this running thing of, of turning your tragedy into triumph. Um, 
it's it's so interesting because the, the the major event in Matt Murdock or Daredevil's life is not the death of his father, like it is with Batman. It's the fact that before his dad dies, he has this accident that blinds him. And his dad is the one that convinces him to be a fighter and to keep going and find the strength in that. And so he finds, and and then in some versions of the story, how Matt doesn't want to tell his dad that he has these abilities because he's afraid what his dad's going to think. All of this stuff and the fact that he could have stopped those people, uh, it's so great. So I read Daredevil. The, the reason why I want them to make that a game, uh, because Charlie Cox did an incredible job on the show. Um, man, and when I first saw him, I was like, yo, you can either have blonde hair or red hair, but you cannot have black hair. And you can't be Irish and like trying to get rid of the accent for the first few episodes and then just decide to throw it. But I have, never mind, we're just going to do it. Um, and he completely changed the role, just like Vincent D'Onofrio did for Wilson Fisk. I was like, that is the best take on Kingpin I have ever seen, ever seen. Um, for me, it's about this. Games, as the player, as the, as, as the person playing the game, that character can do things that I can't. And that's why we play. They can jump higher, they can shoot, they can drive, they can fly, whatever it is. What do you do with a game when I can do something that the character can't? And that, to me, is like, mm. there's been a couple of games that have explored you know being sighted or not and 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 how that looks or, or even being deaf um so what does that look like inside of that space i think that would be a fantastic thing for for marvel to do so marvel please make it happen i i like i just got told just right now like come on please i i don't ask for much but come on easy to license and speak, since we're already talking about Marvel, what what was your reaction? I know I'm I'm sure you probably already knew ahead of time, but what was your reaction to the Miles Morales uh, standalone game for the PS5? I dude, I knew it was coming after the success of that's my favorite Marvel movie. To be honest with you, into the Spider Verse, into the Spider Verse. Oh yeah, hell yeah, dude. I went to besides uh, up until the time that we saw Star Wars together, dude. That was the fir- the first time I got. I'd only been to the theater twice before that, and both times were to see it in the Spider Verse. <laughs> I was like, "This is the way that I've wanted to feel about a Marvel movie." When he, dude, I got chills when he does that backflip and it's mm. "What's Up, Danger." That that song has remained. I I have legitimate chills right now. That song has remained my, on my workout playlist because the, the soundtrack is just dope regardless. But that song specifically, if you want to get amped up, it's like, let's go. And it is just, it was the first time that I, I would have done, there's one thing I would have done differently. One thing. I wanted his uncle to not say anything in the alley. Mm. I wanted there to be no conversation when he's just looking at him standing. If you've seen the movie, but I wanted that moment to just be all of the things that I wish I could tell you. Those are the moments that I really like, whether it be in a movie, a show or a game is when it's like, there's not that closure and you want what, what you want so bad. I'm not going to give it to you, but that is what's going to propel you forward. Ah, oh, mm, I love stuff like that. Man, okay, I, I just want to, man, Miles Morales, Into the Spider-Verse, amazing. Like, I, I, I'm i glad you, that's one of your favorite movies, because that's yeah, easily I, 2018's best movie of 2018. Not just, like, animated movie, just movie, period. I was like, dude, this is, this is just well done. It's funny, 
it, it, it puts me into the action. The music is great. The cinematography is mind-blowing, much less the effects. It's just like, it's crazy what they did with that movie. But the reason why I was super excited to see um, that, that Insomniac was doing a Miles Morales is because they kind of kicked that Spider-Man game's ass. Mm-hmm. Like, they put that game out. And I was talking to a buddy of mine, and he said, finally, Traversal was so... It's like, I, I don't, I'm not going to do... I'm not going to do any kind of like the the uh, the shortcuts you can do, like the fast travels. Like, no. Every other game, you're like, thank God. Once they, Death Stranding is like, once you finally are able to like get around faster, this was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I know that I can do that. I'm going to choose actively not to because it's far more interesting to just go swinging through Queens. It's like what you want to do. Um, and just how much it's... I love games that allow me to go, all right, what do I want to do for a little while? That's why I love Red Dead so much. Or GTA, it's like, there's a path that I can play. Shadow of War, or Shadow of Mortar was the same way too. It's like, if I just want to fire that game up and just just chop the heads off some orcs for a while, I can do that. Or I can go, you know, trophy hunt for a little while if I want to. Those are the kind of games that I really like. But there are the games that go, we understand that there's all this world you can explore. But there is a story that we want to tell you. And I think by and large, it will always be a game like that that drives me to pick up a controller to where it's a, it's a single-player experience. It's my isolated experience of, of that narrative. That is, it, it's the reason why I picked up a controller when I was eight years old. And Dennis, do you, uh, before I, I have another question just unrelated to gaming, um, in general, like, because you are just one of the legendary voice actors like of our time now, just like up there, just top tier. Do you have any advice for up and coming like voice actors that are trying to make it in this way, especially now that they're stuck at home quarantine, they have like their own little closets and booths. Now they can try to, to do stuff. Yo man. And there's, there's, a, there's shows being made in closets and booths uh, right now. You would, you would be surprised uh, at, at what people are. It's like, yeah, that's great. It's like, I just, stuck a mic inside of my closet and, and, and made stuff. So I think I've always been a victim of, I must have this in order to get to that next level. People need a certain quality at the end of the day, a good story is a good story. And that's really what's going to shine. Um, if I could give advice to anybody, the, it, I spent too much time trying to convince people that I was a good actor and instead of rather focusing on just being a good actor. And there's so many moments uh, throughout my career that I wish I could go back and go, dude, just relax, relax, trust yourself, and be brave enough to fail. Um, I, I always played to my strengths, and so I, I, I tried to sidestep my weaknesses as opposed to finding the right people to partner with and go, hey, here are my weaknesses, but here's my strengths. Can we maybe partner together and, and you help me to where these are no longer my weaknesses and maybe my strengths could do the same for you. So partnership right now, I think is we, we, we've seen that people have been locked up for three months and they're like, I'm just, I miss my friends. I miss hugging people. Um, it, it proves the fact that we're social creatures and we need to be in relationship with each other. Um, we need to touch people and see people. Um, so I think that for, for people that are starting this right now, it's, it's, it's understanding that even if, especially if you want to do stuff within game space or, or, or animation or whatever, 
finding your voice has nothing to do with how you sound. It has everything to do with you discovering who you are. And I say these three words constantly, but they are the best piece of advice I could give anybody. You are enough. Just who you are. The, the world doesn't need another me or Nolan North or Tom Cruise or anybody else. It needs you. It needs the story that you have because that's the story that it hasn't heard. That's great advice. Um, let's see here. Uh, I got a Twitter question from D Lawrence at D Lawrence 28. She asked, oh, no. what, was there any part of the story uh, that you found difficult to record that you had to kind of psych yourself up to do, or does it not affect you as much anymore? I used to do that all the time. And a perfect example is the, 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 Sarah death scene in part one. Um, apologies for anybody who's never played that game and is just now playing through it right now. It happens in the first 15 minutes. It's a beautiful game. Continue to play. Um, I There was a version of that scene that I wanted it to be. And again, going back to the fact that I, I was trying so hard to impress um, rather than just simply express. Um, I psyched myself up for that moment. And then what I found on the other side of it was the inadequacies and the deficiencies that I had to actually execute that scene in the moment that it needed because I was so preoccupied with the perturbations of me trying to impress people um, and really at the root of that being fearful that I was going to fail and not be able to deliver that scene because so far people had told me I'm a great actor and here's a real good opportunity to put up or shut up. And... Neil was the one that we famously, we have told this story before to where we shot it and shot it and shot it. And I thought we were going to get in take one and lo and behold, we're take seven and eight and we're all exhausted. And Neil finally goes, okay, I think we got it. He's like, Oh, you think you got it. And then we come back, come back, you know, a month later and reshoot it again and start heading down the same road that we did the first shoot. And Neil pulls me over to the side and he goes, I've, I've told this story so many times and he loves saying this and he even now uses it a phrase, even on part two and Uncharted, he used this. He goes, I'm picking up on some resistance. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're damn right. You're picking up on some resistance because we have this scene in the can. You're wasting my time and everybody else's because you're going to shoot this whole day and do this all over again. Put us all through this. You're going to go home and go into the edit bay and go, I had it in take one. I'm like, here's what I have right now. I'll tell you what I have. I have a man broken. And I went, yeah, his daughter just died. He goes, here's what I don't have. What's happening? This is happening. I could fix it. It's not working. She's going. She's gone. I'm broken. And I was like, he was right. It's, it's not a single moment. An, an impactful moment is comprised of these micro moments. And it's all of those beats. And that's what I hadn't thought about. I had thought about playing the big arc and I hadn't thought about the small moment. And he goes, you know, you haven't even looked at her. Not once in all of these takes. You haven't just looked at her. And he was right. So psyching yourself up and thinking that this moment has to be this thing is actually counterintuitive because the reality is for those characters, for those people, those moments are happening in real time and they don't get the opportunity to psych themselves up for it. They're just mm -hmm. dealing with it in the moment. God damn. <laughs> I feel like we got a bunch of quota, quotables. Is you, uh, do you have any more Twitter questions on your end? I, I have one, but it was about the Pearl Jam. But uh, I just uh, see uh, Gil 
687 asks, compared to the first game, how was your workload? Was it lighter this time around? And approximately how many days did Night Dog have you in the studio? And was there any significant production improvement since you portrayed Samuel Drake in Uncharted 4? Yeah, I mean, we, famously, we started, you know, uh, The Last of Us. We didn't do facial capture. Um, and so there was, we had video reference. And then there was an animator who went eyebrows up. And it, w- it was literally hand animating, keyframing every key or every frame of that game. Let's say that again. There was one person that was responsible for keyframing every frame of facial movement for Joel. That is bananas. So on Uncharted 4, we started doing the same thing. We're like, I wonder if we could do some facial capture. And so halfway through Uncharted 4, we started doing facial capture. And then we're like, this is where we're going to do The Last of Us Part 2. So there were some, um, the packs changed, like our, our, our suits changed. Funny story. I was super, super skinny when I started The Last of Us Part 1. Uh, and I was getting fitted for my suit. And they made a custom suit so they could just like, the all the, the shiny markers and everything. Um, they could just sew in those patches so that they could just, we could get ready faster. And I was getting, I was like, Hey man, I'm starting to work out. Um, do you think that I, he was like, these are made out of spandex. I don't think you could, you could get huge and you're not going to rip this suit. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Cut to about two years into filming. I go, let's go over there. And I went, and I pointed at the guy. I was like, ah, ah, <laughs> I ripped my suit. I've actually got it hanging up. I did have it hanging up. Where is that? Somewhere in here. Um, all in my studio, I'm surrounded by, like you can see Joel and Ellie back there. Um, I've got little bits of memorabilia. I've got my sword from Shadow of Mordor that's hanging over there. Um, I've got a bunch of memorabilia. My, my, my first mocap suit I got to keep. Uh, so there are tremendous leaps, you know, obviously going from PS3 to PS4. Um, affords a lot higher bit of fidelity and, and we were kind of a, a, a sunset title for PS3 and clearly Last of Us Part 2 is a sunset title for, for the PS4 so we, we have just been continually just, just squeezing all of the power and the juice out of that engine that we can um, my workload was heavier I would say it has nothing to do with the amount of days that I worked um, clearly you play as Ellie you're not playing as Joel um, but the it has nothing to do with the the amount of days or the amount of lines of dialogue. I would say that my workload was far heavier this time than it was the first. Um, what, game, what games have you been playing like right now besides The Last of Us, of course? Like I've been yeah. catching up on some stuff, but what have you been I doing? have not been able to. It, it was literally, I'm having to carve out time, and I got a two-year-old boy that I love wow. dearly. And at 7.30 p.m., again, I've been able to work, which is great. Um, 7.30 p.m., of the whole world can just kind of because that's bath time and I lock down with my dude and he just tells me about his day and we talk about the Beatles because he has, he's a huge Beatles fan right now and he can tell me his favorite Beatles album and song and when he goes down I get to hang out with my wife for about an hour before she passes out on the couch uh, we watch whatever show we can and then it's like I sneak off to my room <laughs> and I play what I can so um it is. I I did do. Um, I, I I have an original PS. Uh, I guess it's PS3 uh, Mortal Kombat fight stick, mm. and so I got. I I made my my own little Mortal Kombat machine so that I can play one, two, and three. Um, so I I I was in here and, and literally for the first time I beat two. 
uh, I was like, I've never beaten it before. And I got to beat uh, MK2 in just standing over there. Um, but this is this is definitely like playing games um, to me is is something that I love to do. And a lot of times it's it's the I get to play it in huge chunks. Like when Red Dead came out, I was like, goodbye. This is all I'm doing. Um, I've been pl- Warzone. I'm not a big bo- Battle Royale fan, but oh my God, dude. It is so much fun. It is it's hectic. It's hectic as hell. Like I'm I'm trash at it. Like I'm all right. Like catch me on Apex. That's my Battle Royale game. But Warzone's, yeah, Apex, that's my, my bread and butter. Like catch me. Like I, I feel like I could go competitive. One, like, give me a couple uh, more rounds, uh, and, I, and then I'm good to go. But yeah, like I, I love Warzone, but it, it's just not, it's not for me. Like Fortnite isn't for me. Apex is my battle royale game. Are you a solo player? Because it really works better. Warzone works way better. No, I, I, I try to play with groups. But if you, yeah. if you're saying solo, then I'll, I'll give it a try solo. Yeah, but usually, Warzone is all about hiding if you're solo. Uh, um, if you squat up on Warzone, you can accomplish some. I, I did a charity thing for um, for Astro, and we did. I got to squat up, and I was by far, by far, the worst person on the team. Like I was that person. Is like they're dragging me around. It's like we're gonna get it out of here, and we're gonna make it. You guys, I was that guy. I was the one being held up uh, by everybody else. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wanting to just go back through my back catalog, uh, until we hit some of these newer titles that are coming out. Uh, speaking of, I've got a biggity bounce, but I do want, if there's any other questions, I do want to get to those real quick. No, I think, no, I, I, think I think we're good. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and spending it, uh, with us, especially on this, uh, celebratory day for, yeah. uh, yourself and for the rest of us that are excited to, to play last of us part two. Man, it is my pleasure. Clearly, you can tell that I'm passionate about this and I love talking about it. So thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to uh, to talk to you guys about this. Thank you again, Troy, for stopping by. We always appreciate you. You're amazing. And I can't wait to dive into it. I'm about to, after we get off this podcast, I'm about to start streaming and playing the rest of it because I haven't got, to, haven't got to dive in. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. Dude, hit me up. I want to know beat for beat what you think. I'll be All right. in for it. All right. I got you, fam. Yo, guys. Thanks. Peace. Peace. Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 